Welcome to another episode of the Ascent Endurance Group Podcast. We're excited to have you here and share in our love for endurance sports. Whether you're here to sit back and take some notes, or you just came for the laughs, we're thankful to be part of your journey in the search for more. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we are very excited to have on the podcast with us um, Rachel Parks, who is a dietitian uh, down at Washington University in St. Louis, um, here to help talk through us um, with fueling, some pieces of the puzzle that we want to be able to address, um, and some questions that we've got. Um, very grateful to have Rachel's expertise, uh, not only because she's got um, a background with a master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology, um, she herself is a runner. Um, she ran collegiately at Iowa State, um, worked with a, a big group of runners as the nutritionist for the Wisconsin Badgers for several years, um, and then sort of still has that um, personal ability to be able to manage what's it like to be in real life, maximizing performance with family, with kids, uh, with work, and be able to still try to find ways to find best practices. So um, Rachel, thank you so much for, for bringing all of that to the table with us today. Yeah, thanks, Thomas. A couple of my favorite subjects, nutrition and running, so Super pumped to geek out with you a little bit here for the next bit. Very cool. Um, so I know a lot of the questions and a lot of what we um, encounter when we talk about nutrition is what to eat, um, but we wanted to spend some time starting off today focusing more on kind of when to eat um, and being able to look at both the training days um, as well as training in kind of totality and sort of how your fueling emerges to match what you're doing on the training side of things. So um, we can kind of start out just kind of talking about um, that's 24 hour fueling, um, and sort of how to prep for different types of days and different timing of runs, um, when you're kind of balancing a lot going on in your life. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'd say some of the, um, main time frames that I give, uh, athletes that I work with is, um, thinking about that first meal after you get up and trying to get breakfast in, in the first hour. Um, some people are, you know, walk down the stairs, open the fridge and eat breakfast right away. Other people uh, need a little time to kind of wake up into it. But if we can get some fuel in, in the first hour, um, that's a great way to start the day. Um, and then after, after that, trying to think about fueling every three or four hours, um, you certainly can go longer. And there are diets that are based on intermittent fasting and going longer stretches. Um, but I think um, we've all felt it that at that three or four hour mark, attention and patience and just our general well-being starts to kind of uh, take a little nosedive. Um, so, um, yeah, thinking about how runs fit into that um, in our household, I usually get the morning slot for running and my husband gets the after work slot. Um, and so um, thinking about trying to make sure that you're eating something in the hour before your run and then in the hour, first hour after um, so like for myself in the morning, I'll get up and then just have a banana and then head out the door. Um, some, some people prefer to, um, eat a little bit more. My husband will eat a peanut butter sandwich and a cup of coffee with a nice cube in it. So he can get it down expeditiously <laughs> if he's uh, running in the morning. Um, so each person kind of has their own unique thing that helps them feel good and wake up and get out the door if it's a morning run. But, um, most of the time I think, uh, sessions can be better quality if there's at least a little fuel in the morning. Um, if there, if you just can't do that in the morning, I know some people will eat a bit of a snack before bed as kind of a pre-fueling for their morning run. Um, so I had a college roommate who would eat a bowl of cereal, uh, before the long run. She'd do it the night before to kind of pre-fuel because she didn't like to eat right before. Um, so that's kind of the, the morning run, just trying to get some kind of fuel in your body. 
Um, and then if it's an after work run, really thinking about that kind of mid afternoon slump snack where people kind of go to the break room and browse for whatever pastries are left over or raid the, the drawers and the desk or for all of us who are working at home, um, kind of going through the pantry and looking for something to eat. But if you're heading out for a run at four or five o'clock, thinking about um, getting some uh, high quality, um, typically something with carbohydrates uh, beforehand. Um, and then post-run, um, you want a combination of carbohydrates and protein, um, especially if you're somebody who's running twice a day or training pretty hard um, on a daily basis, um, trying to get that recovery snack or meal in in the first hour to help your body kind of reset and get ready for the next day. So in that um, sort of every three to four hours fueling, um, what sort of level of fuel are we looking for? That's a meal every time or sort of a, a hearty snack? How, how much do we want to do to kind of keep feeding the system there with that frequency? Yeah, um, I would say that varies across the board widely. Some people like to have like four or five kind of mini meals along the way and they feel best when they are kind of more even. Other people like to have larger meals and then just, you know, a bar and an apple or kind of a smaller snack. So I think um, no, no right or wrong necessarily on the volumes. Um, it's more kind of uh, what fits with your workday and your workouts and um, who else you're eating with at home. Yeah. How about kind of comparing um, lighter training days versus those really heavy, you talked about long runs or workout days. How do you sort of shift the timing and sort of the, the dosing of fueling on, on various days? Yeah. Um, so the U S Olympic committee dietitians, um, a few years ago made some plates, um, and they have like an easy, moderate and hard day plate, um, and, um, kind of ratio of food group changes. And so, um, easy days are, um, I think a lot of people have probably seen the, like my plate graphic in a cafeteria somewhere or somewhere online where it's a plate with four parts, fruits, vegetables, proteins, and grains. Um, so the easy day plate, um, from the U S dietitians looks very similar to that where like half the plate is fruits and vegetables. And they even go so far as to, um, there's kind of a weight management. So the fruits and vegetables, um, are half the plate. And then the protein is a little bit more and the carbs are kind of squished down to less than a quarter. Um, as, um, training volume goes up, the grain section of the plate goes up and the fruits and vegetables go down. Um, the idea behind that is, um, carbohydrates or grains, breads, pasta, rice, potatoes. Um, that's our, our fueling nutrient. Um, our body prefers to burn carbs, especially when we're training at very high intensities. Um, and so, um, as your volume goes up, your fuel need goes up. Um, and vegetables and fruits go down because uh, they're lower in calories. And so um, for athletes who are training at really high volumes and have a hard time keeping up, having a, a really high fruit and vegetable diet can actually um, make them feel full before they've had enough um, nutrition. So on the heavy day plate, um, it's actually 50% grains and then a quarter protein and a quarter fruit and vegetables. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have some go-tos? You kind of talked about some of what you guys do for those immediate pre-runs. Um, what are the, the nice hacks that you see for positive fueling if you've got to take something for a two o'clock snack in the middle of the workday or something like quick after a run? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so um, I would say uh, just like thinking ahead about your for your day as far as like where are you going to be at that time? Will you be in your car? Will you be in the office? Will you be at home? I'm um, kind of figuring out what fits with where you're going to be. Um, 
So uh, the recovery snack ideally has some protein in it. Um, so something like yogurt um, or milk or, you know, cheese sticks, dairy products are nice, but obviously those require um, refrigeration. So if you're on the go, something with more like nuts, trail mix, um, bars with nuts. Um, some people do like beef jerky or protein sticks or um, meat sticks. Um, <clears throat> so that would be protein is probably the harder one to carry around for those snacks after the, the run, if you're not going to be going home immediately or having a meal, um, pre pre run. Um, I mean, dry cereal bars, trying to think of like what's in our, uh, cabinet. I mean, pretzels, it's not super fancy triscuits, uh, wheat thins, um, pieces of fruit. Um, so, uh, it can be a lot of different things. That's the beauty about nutrition is, there are athletes from all over the world, obviously, when they come to the Olympics at a really high level, and all of those athletes are eating drastically different foods, but they can perform at very similar levels. And so that's super encouraging that there's so many styles and ways to do this, um, that there's not just one perfect right way. Um, each person can kind of find what fits for them. Is there a process you, you like to use for letting individuals kind of sort through the like things that work really well or that don't work really well? Yeah, I usually start by asking them, like, what's in your pantry right now? If you were to walk to your refrigerator and open it up or open your pantry up, like what's in there and what's like working well for you right now? Like, let's use those. What's not working well for you? Like what's what's missing? Um, I think people are looking for this um, strict shopping list or this, um, you know, cooking or, you know, this very um, short list of foods that they should or shouldn't be eating. Um, and I think it's much more realistic to say, like, let's find right where you are right now and take one step forward. Probably sounds very similar to uh, coaching. Huh? Um, you know, you can't just all of a sudden assign somebody a 50 mile week if they've been running 20. Um, and so people start out with very different nutrition backgrounds from how they were raised, if they know how to cook or if their family style is eating out a lot. So um, kind of taking their current um, just like health and, um, skills and knowledge and motivation and figuring out like what makes sense for them in this moment. So, um, I can't say there's any specific thing that I say, um, for people to kind of start with, except for like, let's see where you are and where you want to go. And what are some first steps to get you there? That's awesome. I, I like that a lot. That's uh, smooth. Um, do you have folks, um, that'll record sort of what fuels well, sort of like if within a running log or anything like that, to sort of, if they're having trouble foods to be able to sort things out, to find like, Hey, I had this and GI stuff was a lot smoother than if I ate that. Um, is there a process on that side that helps whittle away the good stuff and the bad stuff? Yeah, definitely. As we think about race days, um, we definitely want to have tried and true meals on race morning and probably the night before. And so we want to be trying those foods out um, before workouts or before kind of tune up races to see like what works or what didn't. Um, <clears throat> I distinctly remember a race in college where we stopped at like an Einstein bagel and then the race was supposed to start a little later. So I had like a bagel with like a huge amount of peanut butter. And I just remember that whole race feeling like I was just going to lose it all out there on the course. And, um, I, I haven't eaten a peanut butter sandwich before a race since. So I think we all have this experience where it's like never again. Um, so those, those experiences are learning experiences and finding, um, what works for you individually. So whether that's just, whether that's recording it in a log, 
um, you know, and kind of retrospectively looking at like which workouts went well or not. So hard to, that's the hard part about nutrition is like, it's not, I ate this and then I got this outcome because there's so much that goes into performance with sleep and environment and motivation. So um, I wish wish it was a little more clear cut, um, but certainly kind of keeping mental tabs on what foods make you feel good because those are ones you're going to want to repeat when it comes to, to race day. Yeah. That's seems like a good sort of open book of sort of be able to keep open-minded, but not, um, not close any doors too much. So, um, one more question on the, the timing of fueling side of things I've, you know, we hear sometimes that like eating really close to bed or sort of snacking after dinner can sometimes have negative effects. If we're looking for weight management, um, how does that play a role for like, how does that window um, and the timing of that affects folks that are training, whether they're running morning or afternoon? Mm-hmm. I get that question all the time. Um, I would say kind of my stance toward that is um, from what I've read um, and experienced, um, metabolism doesn't magically shut off at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. These times that people will arbitrarily say they won't eat after. Um, I think the reality about those times is that we're feeling more tired, our inhibitions are down, feeling less motivated to get up and chop something or prepare something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a time where um, snacks come out of the bag or something sweet sounds really good. Um, so I would say uh, I usually recommend if people are hungry before bed, eat. Um, that's our, our best indicator for having healthy bodies and healthy weights is our hunger and fullness cues. Um, and so if it gets to be eight or nine o'clock and you feel hungry, I think that's a perfect time. Okay. Time to kind of honor that hunger, um, and to satisfy what that is. Um, but thinking about, um, what's a good choice I can make now, um, you know, yogurt or, um, fruit or something that's more sweet. Um, I think that there's been some research that like dairy products, the proteins and milk help people go to sleep. Um, I don't know how valid that is, but um, it's something that doesn't require a lot of preparation. Um, so I think it's, it's less about like this hard time where your metabolism changes drastically, but just thinking about like, am I hungry or am I just bored or am I tired? Do I just need to go to bed? Like, what is this driving me? Am I stressed? What is driving me to the fridge? Um, and if I am there with true hunger, um, what are some quick and easy choices that also give my body some proteins, some vitamins and minerals along with, uh, whatever that sweet craving is that we, that we have. Absolutely. That mindfulness and awareness. And, um, I think my grandma was really big on the, like, oh, the glass of milk before bed. So there's anecdotal sciences is at least backs that up. So, um, kind of zooming out from that day-to-day fueling to sort of how fueling changes and evolves over the course of a training cycle. Um, could you kind of give us a, you know, a 10,000 foot overview of what fueling looks like from sort of that break after, you know, a peak race and then into that building back into mileage, peak training, competition, and then peaking for that big race? Sure. Um, Well, I think in that break, so usually after big race, you may have a few weeks or a month where uh, you're not training much or you're just taking a break from um, being a runner um, and just being kind of a normal human for a while. Um, and I think our nutrition can, and can take a little break there. I think that that's a time where um, we don't have to go crazy and pay no attention, but I think that we can be more relaxed. Um, I read in a book one time in college that nutrition is like this dance between permission and discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that time when um, 
we're less focused on training, we may have a little bit more permission to indulge in some of those things that we don't necessarily um, usually eat. Um, we we do that at social occasions. Um, it's very healthy to give ourselves permission um, when it comes to nutrition um, at times. So, um, you know, obviously we don't want to dig ourselves a big hole as we build back into that mileage. Um, but I, I think it is good to just realize that like our body is going to change through uh, a training cycle. Um, and if you feel less fit, that's okay. Like you can get right back into that fitness. I think that we have to be careful when we're in that downtime and we're not running. Um, I think that um, some individuals have a tendency to restrict um, because they feel like I'm not earning my food. Um, I haven't run today. haven't exercised today. I shouldn't eat or I can't eat anything fun. Um, everyone deserves to eat. If they're alive. They need to eat to, to live. Um, and so um, just letting your body be and just relax and kind of using that time to restore um, physically and mentally. So um, in the early season, I think that, that is a time um, when you need to kind of reestablish those good rhythms of getting to the grocery store on a good routine and um, getting back into the habit of just kind of having some loose meal plans or cooking for yourself, kind of determining how often are you going to eat out um, in a week. Um, and this is actually also the time that is recommended to be working on if you do have weight loss goals. Um, that weight changes should be made in kind of the off season or the early season. Um, because when you're trying to do peak mileage or competing, um, it's really hard to do that well when in an energy deficit. Um, so just again, um, kind of tuning in with your body and identifying those hunger and fullness cues um, and just kind of getting yourself set into a solid routine. Cause as your, your, uh, cycle carries forward, running is going to take more and more time. And so, um, making sure you have those good habits in place that you are still taking care of your body. Um, even as the mileage grows, um, peak mileage time. Um, a lot of it is just about getting enough volume. Um, and as we talked about with those plates, uh, the easy, medium and hard plates, that hard plate was 50% grain. So that's a time where you can eat those bigger helpings of the cereal or the rolls or the pasta. I mean, I think everybody kind of enjoys the peak mileage season just for the opportunity to uh, kind of indulge in some of those foods that we sometimes eat in a more restrained way. Um, I think another huge thing with the peak mileage time is really being thoughtful about getting the re recovery nutrition in um, because you are taxing your body so much. And if you're coming back with another long run or another hard workout, in a pretty short interval and making sure that you're fully back as much as you can be um, is really important. And then um, competition season, um, I think uh, there's also a tendency there to kind of tighten down. I, we have some friends and that run some uh, races with us and they'll be like, I'm not drinking alcohol until I run my X race or I've given up my late night snacks. Um, so um, in the competition phase, you are running fewer miles. And so your body does need um, a little bit less energy, um, but we don't wanna be so tightened down that we're getting ourselves into a calorie deficit. Um, but just really looking at um, kind of those um, snacks or foods, um, whether it is those late night snacks or things that's at work or um, where you're just kind of grabbing extra stuff that you may not be hungry um, fully for. So uh, tightening down a little, kind of um, just really focusing in on that race, um, but not being so restrictive um, that we enter race day already depleted. 
Yeah, I'd imagine that's, you know, if we don't fuel enough during that taper time, it basically kind of undermines that mileage cut, the intensity, like dripping a little bit. If we're not supporting that with the right fueling, it's, it's probably as stressful, if not more stressful than that peak mileage in the, the heaviest phases of training. Absolutely. Oh. Um, wanted to circle back to, you talked a little bit about that, that weight management and sort of those folks that um, if we're looking to sort of healthfully uh, balance training um, with either a little bit of weight loss or weight management in the earlier stages of training. Um, what are the, the keys to the balance that you've seen? And then what are some of the pitfalls that we want to really be cognizant of uh, making sure we steer clear of? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like I said before, ideally we want to be doing that in the early part of the season um, and having realistic goals um, about what it is that we're doing um, as far as just like the speed or the amount of weight change that um, we're uh, looking for. Um, so uh, carbohydrates, as I said, are the fuel. And so when we're talking about weight management, that's often the food group that gets targeted. I think we all know that fat diets go at the carbs most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and there is some truth to that. Um, but I think that we have to um, make sure that it's done in the right way. So um, ensuring that you still have carbohydrates around your workouts so that the, your kind of top off snack or your meal before your workout, whether that's your dinner before your morning run, or whether that's your lunch before your afternoon run, that that still has a pretty good dose of carbohydrates and that you're getting some carbs afterwards. Um, so that there is some, some fuel there, um, for the runs, but then in those other meals, um, kind of decreasing the portions and really thinking about, uh, getting high quality grains. So the whole grains, mm. um, wheat pasta, brown rice, and, um, whole wheat cereals, whole wheat, um, uh, crackers, just really, um, looking at that food group specifically that you're making good choices. Most of the time, um, even when we are working on weight management, there is still room to have some dessert and some treats and some things that we enjoy. Um, perfection is never a thing in, in nutrition. There's a very strong cultural um, current of just eating clean and eating perfect. And I'll spoil it right now. Nobody does it. Um, and so don't even try. <laughs> um, uh, another thing is, especially if um, the, the calorie deficit is, is on the bigger side, if the weight goal is faster or bigger, um, making sure to include protein um, every three or four three to four hours throughout the day, again, um, because that helps maintain muscle mass. We obviously want to be losing fat mass is what we're, we're aiming to do typically when we're weight management. Um, and we're, we're not looking to really lose all of those good moving muscles. Um, and so um, having the protein spaced out um, throughout the day, um, the amount that's out there in, this, in the literature is 0.3 grams per kilogram. Uh, for most adults, that ends up being somewhere around 20-ish grams, 20 to 30, depending on the body size. So that's going to be um, like a chicken breast or three eggs or um, a couple cups of milk um, would be the amount. Um, and that um, your body maintains muscle better if that's spaced out um, over three meals and probably a couple snacks versus just like lunch and dinner. Um, so really looking at your carbs, looking at making sure you're getting protein throughout the day. Um, and then, uh, beverages is another one, um, really being thoughtful about what's in your drink, um, whether that's sweetened coffees or soda or alcohol. Um, and then, um, my husband, I was talking with him about this. He said like the break room at work, um, and just, 
not uh, going into the break room hungry. Um, you know, it's fine to pick up a, a treat here or there, um, but if you truly are hungry, making sure that you have a stash of, of snacks that are um, better choices um, that are in your desk or locker or whatever your workplace looks like. Um, and then if you're a, a at home person, um, just making sure that um, eating healthfully is easy. Um, Cause if we are, um, it's so funny as runners, we can be incredibly motivated about running. Um, but sometimes, um, you know, like opening the carrot bag and like peeling a carrot and slicing a carrot just feels like insurmountable. Um, so making sure that if you need to buy like pre-chopped fruits and vegetables or a salad pack, or, um, if you need to just take a pass on some of your favorite salty snacks for a while, while you're in kind of the, uh, disciplined part of your phase, um, just making eating healthy easier. Um, kind of lowering that barrier. Um, mistakes that I see, um, fad diets, people just trying out what they saw on TikTok or Instagram um, is, a, is a big one. Um, supplements, you know, going to GNC and trying to, to buy your way to um, a certain weight. Um, there's no supplements that are safe and or effective um, at losing weight. Um, it's just about hard work and discipline and time, unfortunately. Um, and um, I think just making sure, and also people who are doing it in the wrong part of the cycle, um, where they're trying to do it as they're peaking or thinking about getting down to, to race weight at race time, um, that really happens more uh, before we're even really thinking about that peak race. Um, so um, I think also just being really, some people can be very disciplined about what food they're eating. Um, I only eat these foods or I've cut out all these things but they're very undisciplined in how they're eating. As far as they're not coming to the table and sitting at the table and tuning into their body, they may be eating while watching TV or they may be um, you know, rushing through things or not getting groceries and having to run um, and buy groceries all you know, multiple times a week. Um, so just feeling very disorganized, like basically following a strict diet, but they're kind of meal prepping um, is very erratic. Um, those would probably be some of the most common things that I see people doing. Hmm. Yeah, we've, we've obviously talked about when and, and what to eat, but that that process of how kind of seems like mindfulness and sort of really being present throughout like the phases of shopping, prepping, and actually fueling your body. Like if you're doing that instead of on autopilot, but with intention, like there's just a big upside there. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly hard to do. Like we we love doing other things while we're eating sure. um, and shopping is hard and prepping food is hard. It takes time. Um, so uh, it's, it's no wonder that we uh, don't prefer to do those things. Um, uh, but I think that's really where uh, change, meaningful and long lasting change can take place versus just cutting out X food or X food group for a certain amount of time. Uh, that just uh, to me and my experience has just been kind of a recipe for cyclical ups and downs. Um, and that's really, um, I think there's plenty of research out there to show that that's not healthy for our bodies, our metabolism uh, to be really swinging um, wide ranges. Like I said before, our bodies will change slightly kind of through the training cycle, uh, but we don't want to see a ton of weight loss and weight regain um, happening throughout the year. So final question for you is, um, if folks feel like they're they're stuck in where they're at or they feel like they might need more help what are what are some next steps or what are those indicators that like 
getting someone um, on your team that's got a little bit more expertise in that is going to have some benefit. Yeah, so uh, in nutrition counseling, the word we use for that is ambivalence. Um, and that means that like, I feel I want to change something, but I'm not changing something. And it's the most like insane feeling because people will say, there's so many reasons I want to do this. I want to change the way I'm eating or stop eating out so much or cook more at home. Um, but I don't. Um, and so really exploring like what it, what is keeping you stuck? Like what are the, the forces that are moving you forward and what are the forces that are kind of pushing um, backwards. Um, and so a couple of questions to ask yourself is like, is this important to me? Cause sometimes we have something that we feel stuck in, but then when we really think about it, we realize that we have other priorities in our life right now. And that's okay. Like sometimes nutrition has to take a back seat. Sometimes running has to take a back seat. Sometimes, you know, there are different priorities in each stages of our life. Um, and so if you're find that your ambivalence about your nutrition is because your work is crazy or you're in the middle of family life or you're trying to finish your thesis or you're whatever it is sometimes eating is just kind of for survival and that's okay and there may be another time where you'll be more present and more equipped and able to make change so is it important and then the second part is like do I have the skills the information the confidence that I need to make those changes because um, if you feel that something's really important, but you don't even know where to start, um, that can be a really overwhelming feeling. Um, sometimes tracking, so that I'm sure everybody is very familiar with the phone apps that are out there, MyFitnessPal or Lose It. I mean, there's so many if you just go into your app store. Um, I think using those tracking apps for a few days just to bring awareness to some of your patterns can be helpful. Um, I don't think that those are really a sustainable um, way to make nutrition changes. I think that it in a way becomes kind of a shackle um, that you have to kind of keep writing things down. It takes a lot of time. Um, and if there's foods, if people make mistakes or are ashamed of eating a certain food, sometimes they just don't even track them at all. Um, so it's not necessarily, that's really uh, can be a catalyst to just gaining information, but I don't see a lot of actual prolonged behavior change come out of those tracking apps. I just see a lot of burden coming out of those. Um, I think um, just remembering that good nutrition takes some time, but it shouldn't be complicated. So it doesn't have to be tracking grams of this or grams of that. You don't have to be weighing or measuring. I think sometimes people get overwhelmed about that kind of perfection side of things with eating. Um, but again, as we talked about before, like where are you right now? And what's like one thing that you could do tomorrow to kind of take the next step forward. Um, and uh, if you feel like that you're still lacking the skills or confidence or information, um, a couple of websites that I love um, that I point a lot of my um, adolescents that I see, um, like I said, the U.S. Olympic Committee, if you put USA Nutrition, they have a whole website um, with a bunch of handouts on like game day fueling, meat day fueling, um, and those plates that I referenced, they have like injury, they have all the, a big number of, of different handouts on different topics, and I think they also have some recipes as well. Um, and then the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitian Association, um, CPSDA, um, obviously is more geared toward the collegiate athlete, but they have a lot of very scientifically based, good uh, nutrition information as well on their website. So 
um, kind of going to those um, sources that are grounded in science um, and not grounded in social media or kind of pop culture. Um, and then I'm also obviously biased to this, but um, a dietitian um, and someone who can chat with you one-on-one -on -one and find out who you are and what you're about um, and where you wanna go. Um, dietitians right now are offering a lot of virtual visits. Um, once one perk of the pandemic, we were kind of slow to the game on doing virtual visits. And in the past you know, couple of years, we've really um, launched onto the web. So um, you know, if you're a busy person and want to do it in the evening or the weekends, or you live far away from a big metro city, um, chances are you can probably log on and talk to somebody. And dietitians don't really need anything more than a screen and a person to converse with. So it actually works quite well to do virtual visits. Um, when looking for a dietitian, um, there's a certain credential called CSSD, um, which is a certified specialist in sports dietetics. And so um, that person would have at least five years working with athletes and then have to take um, an exam. Uh, I guess it's like so many hours. It's not necessarily five years, but um, every five years they have to recertify with the exam. Um, so that would be a great way to know that you're getting a dietitian who's working with other active people and is kind of up to date on um, kind of the latest recommendations. So, um, yeah, I think uh, feeling stuck in our nutrition uh, is a real thing and it's very common for people because we eat the way we eat because of how we what we learned and because what our, our life looks like right now um, and making any kind of behavior changes is, is super tough. Um, so having supportive people in your life, whether that's a significant other or a friend or a professional uh, to kind of talk you through some of those um, successes and challenges along the way is a great place to, to start. Well, thank you so much for giving us so many resources, uh, such a different lens and an ability to, to conceptualize what we experience when we fuel and sort of how to do that and every piece of that uh, in, a, in a mindful way. So uh, thank you for the time and, and for all the insight, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. We are always looking for feedback, so feel free to send us a message with any topics that you'd like us to discuss. If you enjoyed the show and want to write a review on your preferred podcasting platform, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're looking for more content, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or check us out through the website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.